Next Chapter Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. George Michael confessed that he would like to recreate Madonna's infamous kiss with Britney Spears (laughs) at the 2003 MTV VMAs by doing it with Justin Timberlake. (laughs) Who would? Yeah. Who who would you choose for your same sex celebrity kiss? Oh, my God. Rihanna, that's that's it. Rihanna play around. Very sexy, very sensual. Yes, she's very sensual. That's what I like. She's very like playful. Like I feel like she'd be willing to be playful. I like to drink wine with Rihanna, like a little bit too much rosé, like in an afternoon, like lounging by the pool, and then like we're like, oh, let's go in the pool, and then like somehow like our like, you know. The next thing you know, you're off. scissoring. Yeah, and like we're just like sitting, like coming like this. When you come, other. you go eh eh <laughs> eh. Yeah, I would want it to be like that, like a very playful, innocent. Uh, Ella, Ella, Ella. Yeah, and then we wake (laughs) up. I wake wake up in her huge bed, and like you know, she's like texting me, and I'm like, or I'm like, where are you? And she's like, oh, I'm on a plane. I'm on a yeah. On a way to Rio. I took the chopper out of here. Yeah, like (laughs) no, I had to go. Like I had fun, babe. X X. Ooh, (laughs) chat. That's great. Me hot and bothered. Faith by George Michael, everybody. It's from his 1987 debut album of the same name. It's also number 472 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What's up, Fleece Army? Hope you guys are enjoying this ride through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Uh, I'm having a great time doing it. I'm the king of Fleece. I'm leading you to the promised land, which is going to take... A long time. I think the final show is on May 31st, 2028. So pay for your Spotify's and follow along in the podcast, guys. Also, thank you to everybody that's been doing the Instagram stories. Keep doing it, man. If you're listening to the 500, I want you guys to take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500 and tag me at Josh Adam Myers. And hashtag the 500 podcast. Give me a 24-hour ad on your social media so we can get the word out about the five zero motherfucking zero. Today in music for May 15th, in 2002, the Wu-Tang name generator goes online. The app's turns your real name into one like the rap group Wu-Tang. This is where Donald Glover got Chinese Gambino for his stage name. If I was in Wu-Tang 
and used the Wu-Tang name generator, my name would be Sarcastic Professional. Yo! Sarcastic Professional. That would have been a good name for when I was into shekels because I don't know if a lot of you guys know this, but I, at one point in my life, back in like 1997 through 99, I was in an all-Jewish hip-hop group called The Shekels. Uh, we made seven albums in like a month, um, 358 songs, bigger than the Beatles catalog, The Shekels. I did it in my mom's uh, basement where we used to like smoke pot and watch television uh, in just an unfurnished basement. That was like our hangout, and we started uh, rhyming. We'd get high and we'd rhyme, as you do. And we would uh, make these albums. Flight of Fear was one. Sassagrass. Sergeant Buddha Smokey Bong Club Band. Buddha Tributa. Then we had one just called De Shekels. Self-titled. And then I think we did a greatest hits. It was the greatest moment. I, I was I went by Cracker Jack. I didn't go by Sarcastic Professional, but that's a great name. But I'll stick with Cracker Jack. And then I was Nietzsche for a little bit because I wanted to impress girls that I like, you know, read like one existential philosophy book. And and so I was Nietzsche, N-E-E-C-H-I-E. Congratulations to whoever created that thing. My guest this week is a near and dear friend to me. You know her from Crashing on HBO, Santa Clarita Diet, and F is for Family on Netflix. Also, you know her from her plethora of appearances on Bill Burr's The Monday Morning Podcast. It's the beautiful Nia Renee Hill. Uh, Been a friend of hers for about four years now. Um... We've always been cool, and then one night I, uh, Bill was out of town, and uh, I swung by because I wanted to make her cookies for her birthday because I didn't get her a birthday present. Uh, so I was like, I'll make her cookies. And I went by, and I brought, dropped off the cookies, and then we smoked some grass, and then we fucking <laughs> talked shit for like two hours. I was like, that's my fucking girl, man. So we are very, very happy to have her on the podcast with one of her favorite artists. Artists? He makes a good sandwich. He's a sandwich artist. Born Georgios Karayakos Paneliotu in East Finchley, London. On June 25th, 1963, George Michael was a singer, songwriter, producer, and philanthropist. He was so good, man. When he died, oh man, that shit broke my heart. Guy was I found out all this like cool shit about him. In 1984, the British pop band Wham!, which was made up of George and his fellow friend Andrew Ridgely, had followed up their huge debut album, Fantastic, with another hit. And their first number one single, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Everybody knows that song, and everybody fucking loves it. It's catchy as shit. Wake me up before you go-go. Many thought it's strange that George would then release the the solo single. It blows my mind that Ma- that Morty, who helps me write this stuff, would think that I would say many thought it's strange. If you listen to this podcast at all, like that's not a sentence that comes out of my mouth. Many thought it's strange. You know, and that girl was, uh, you know, 
rubbed my balls uh, in the room, many thought it strange. Many thought it strange that George would then release the solo single, Careless Whisper, even though it was included on the Wham! album. That was many people's introduction to the true talent and genius that was hidden within the hit factory of the pop duo that many considered another teeny bopper phenomenon. Two years later, as Wham! released Music from the Edge of Heaven, their third and final album, George Michael broke up the group at the height of their career. One year later, in 1987, George Michael released Fate, a debut record of such pop perfection that it spawned seven singles, six of which were in the top five. It won the Grammy for Best Album of 1988, as well as American Music Awards and other worldwide honors. He was only 24 years old. Damn, Morty. You fucking killed it on that. I just can't believe that you think that I would say, many thought it strange. I've never said anything like that. Big up some Morty, guys. Morty uh, helps me work on this. Um... And uh, he thinks I would th- I would say many thought it strange, dude. But that, he was only twenty four years old. Isn't that that's fucking mind blowing? George Michael was only twenty four. I don't know, man. When you uh, when you wear short shorts and you know a leather jacket with no shirt and fucking the best five o'clock stubble in the world, you just look older. Yeah, this is a good album, man. This is a really, really good album, and this is a fun episode with Nia. Don't forget to listen to the end of the podcast where we spotlight a new artist that was directly influenced by George Michael. Also, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500. And follow me on all social media, at Josh Adam Myers, last name spelled M-E-Y-E-R-S. Follow me, man. I'm close to 10,000 on Instagram. I want to break that. I don't know why, but it's like... Should make me feel like an accomplishment. Email the podcast. I don't give a fuck what you want to say. Just email us. You can talk shit to us. You can literally just write fuck you in the email. Uh, you can find it at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, like the mixtapes, the episode links, all the blogs that people are writing in, whatever, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, you know what's up, y'all. Nothing left to say, but here we go. We're number 472 out of 500 with Faith by George Michael. Cause I got to have Nia, mm, I got to have Nia, cause it is Nia, Renee, hey, when did you become a fan of, of George Michael? I mean, when have I not been a fan of George Michael? Listen, Faith came out, I was nine years old. So let's just say nine years old. I'll be 41 in a month. So you do the math on that one. 30, 30 years. So over, like, over 30 years. Oh, my God. So that crazy. you've been listening? All right, but specifically yeah. Faith. Like, when did you first remember hearing that for the first time? I feel like I was, like, around 10 or so. So maybe on the radio or... Because you, you knew him as Wham! 
I knew him before. as Wham. You, yeah. Sort well, of. You're, you're, I'm like, you're, I think you're but right. But we're right like me. around the same age. Like, okay. I mean, Wham, but I don't know that I necessarily had like the knowledge that, oh, this is the guy from Wham, and now he's going solo. I think it was sort of Wham existed in the universe, and then it was George Michael. But I really have memories of George Michael. Not so much Wham. Wham is like, oh, yeah, maybe I heard that song when I was little. George Michael, though. Oh, no, there was a whole, I mean, I was in That love. was Faith. That was Faith, and I was in love with him. Like, I had the biggest, biggest, hugest crush on him. Like, I remember <laughs> every reading, girl. A, every girl, a <laughs> magazine article, and he was talking about how, like, they were like, take us through your day. And he was, you know, talking about how he gets up and does this and does that. And, you know, for dinner, he'll, like, throw a fo- frozen pizza in the oven. I remember thinking, oh, my God, George Michael likes pizza. I like pizza. It's destiny. So that's that's I was I was in there. Was he I was in there? Was he? Because all right. So I remember when this came out. This came out in eighty seven. Mm-hmm. I will always remember my babysitter at the time mm-hmm. being like, "Oh my god, that George Michael is so cute." <laughs> you guys, we're gonna listen to his new album <laughs> together. And I remember oh I knew god. Faith because I just knew music, and I don't know if I knew Father Figure, mm-hmm. but I, I did know the song "I Want Your Sex." Yeah, and oh, I yeah. was like, "Play that one," because. I yeah. I was just like seven year old little deviant and, I'm mm-hmm. like, and it also it's just play the sex it's one. just so like boom, chicka, wow. it's, just, yeah, it's, it's got, got these like weird sounds a, in yeah. it like boom, do you think it was like maybe like a little bit of a play on like porno music you know how people go bow, chicka, bow, wow, oh, for, for like, sure porn. do you think it was maybe like a little riff on that I think it's a combination of new wave R&B soul and, yeah. and definitely the porno music but I feel yes. like this album is made for fucking it is it's, it's 100% made it's a for tale sex. of love and love Lust and yearning and frustration. You first get into him, you said around mm-hmm. 10, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you first get into around and 10, And I had like... the cassette too. I had it on cassette. I, I vividly remember. I wonder if I still do. I should look through my stuff. But I had it on cassette. So I wore that tape out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wore it out. Oh my God. It had the lyrics in it too, if I recall. So I was all over it. And it's interesting in preparing for this podcast. I listened to it a million times and I was just like, I still know all the words. I still have like those vibes, those feelings of it. It was like, it was great to kind of like revisit that time in my life when you're just sort of like young and dazzled by pop stars and just feeding whatever the media tells you about them and whatever image they have before you learn to deconstruct everybody. I didn't become a fan of George Michael until Freedom 90. Yeah, yeah. That music video. Oh my god! And with all the models, and you don't see him—the most beautiful. I think I masturbated for the first time to that. I really? Think, oh, I definitely scrooged. Like, it wasn't like full on masturbation. Like th- throughout the entire video, or maybe I used just to certain do. like ones. Dude, like, oh, I, I, there's Christy. Oh, there's Naomi. It's it's all of them throughout. All of them. It's just throughout. It's the most beautiful. Those are the supermodels of my time. That's probably my Kathy favorite. Kathy Ireland. Yeah. Eva, yeah. not Eva Evangelista. She's a porno. Linda. Linda Evangelista. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See where my mind oh, is at. Oh my god, this is gonna be fun. Yeah, uh, Linda Evangelista, Naomi Campbell, yeah. Cindy Crawford, and there was some, the one with the short the, blonde Steph, with hair. With Stephanie Seymour in it, the actor yes, probably because she's one probably. of the big, But that song, all was, the girls, all the girls from the nineties. So me, so that video was just everything. I, I I definitely masturbated that one. I remember the one that I masturbated to the most was the one. This must. What is it? This used to be our playground. No, not that one. The Madonna, the Madonna song? song. No, the one where the bullfighter. The like the, the one that was like one. the soundtrack to a league of their own. No, no that's take that a was, bow. But that right. See, I got those mixed up. I'm talking about the one <laughs> with the bullfighter. Remember? Take a bow. I've always yes. been in love with. 
where she's rolling around in the bed. Dude, she's like masturbating. And she's at like, one point. yes, that, that's she, porn. To, to the screen, like, like of her watching the matador on the screen. She's like yeah. rolling around underneath the covers in bed to it. Yes. Yeah. So what for you me? You took my love for granted. It's so good. So definitely, yes. and it's definitely it's porn when that's the only porn you have at that age. You know what I mean? It's like there was no internet. I didn't know where my dad's porno stash was. Is, so is this just, podcast going to be about all the videos that you've mentioned? No, 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 no. Okay, it's just, just, just it's just these two because I'm making a point. <laughs> I'm getting to something. What I'm getting to is then my sister went out and bought Freedom that whole album, whatever yeah. it was, with Live Without Live Without Prejudice, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we fell in love with the song Praying for Time. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Peter, play a little bit of Praying for Time. Uh, just that beginning. <laughs> I fucking. These are the days of the open hands. We love that. We used to sing this love song it. about our cat. So, but, but my real love for George Michael mm-hmm. really came later, man. It's with, it's with all the stuff that I found out about him. Like. Mm-hmm. I think we have like like so when he died, mm-hmm. I had no idea. I became a fan really, and I hate to say it, like after the fact. Oh, really? Where I really became a fan of his. Where yeah. it's like I really listened. I dug into his music. His philanthropic and charitable acts were legendary. We found this fact from singing on charity records like "Do They Know It's Christmas" by yeah. Band Aid to performing concerts and donating the proceeds to many charitable organizations to being a spokesperson and a patron of several other charities, just like AIDS research and all this other stuff. When they found out after he died, all of these charities came out and said that he had anonymously donated millions over the years, including royalties from some of his songs. Yep. I remember reading that too. No, it was, I was so, so sad when he, when he passed away. Cause I really was, a fan, like I said, from the first album. So, and it was right before Christmas. You know, he had that last no, Christmas No, it was song. on Christmas. Was it on Christmas? It was on Christmas? Christmas. I remember finding oh, out uh, sitting in the car in the in the parking lot of a Ralph's. <sighs> and I, I cried. I got really cried because yeah, I put on I Praying for cried. Time. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's dive, let's dive into yeah. our album. Our yes. album is number 472 out of 500, and it's the debut studio album, Faith by George Michael, Mm -hmm. released on October 30th, 1987, Mm -hmm. produced meticulously (laughs) by Mr. George Michael. That's right. And written, right? And like, didn't he He write? He did everything. All of them? He played all the instruments. Maybe one he did he he didn't write? Dude, we have some facts in this that are just going to blow your mind. So so to give you guys a little bit of where this album is in the big picture of George Michael's career. So in 84... There was Wham, okay? Wham was made up of George and his friend Andrew Ridgely, and they followed up their huge debut album, Fantastic, with another hit called Make It Big, and their first number one single, which everybody fucking knows, and this is how I knew George Michael right off the jump, was Wake Me Up Before You Go Go. Mm-hmm. That's a great... Wake me up before you go go. Fucking good, dude. Also, so then... <laughs> Many thought it was strange that George would then release a solo single, Mm. Careless Whisper. Right. Even though it was included on the Wham's album, it still came out as just George. Right. Mm -hmm. So many people's introduction to his true talent and genius that was hidden within the hit factory of Wham!, people were thinking this was going to be another teeny bopper phenomenon. Mm. But then he released... Faith. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
He did one more album with them. Two years later, he did another William album, but then he released this because they broke up. This had seven singles on it. Seven out of it's ten seven. songs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Were, were, were hit singles. Hits. Hits. Six of them were in the top five. Yeah. It also won the Grammy for Best Album of 1998, as well as the American Music Award and other worldwide honors. Uh, this is the craziest shit. He was only 24. Oh, I didn't realize he was only 24. Wow. Nor did I, but I just read it just off now. of Morty's notes. <laughs> Thank you, Morty. <laughs> Dude, it's so prepped. You have no idea how much. I, I, I've dug into this record. Probably wow. one of the most iconic opening sentences in music history. <laughs> well, I guess it would be nice if I could touch your body. I know not everybody has got, got a body, body like, like you. you. So I was listening with headphones on, okay? Uh And I was making my pass at this record. And I heard the most subtle falsetto behind I Gotta Have Faith. The part where he's like, I got to have faith. I got to have faith. Peter, play that for me. It is so beautiful, and it adds a complete other layer to the song. It's at 149. Yes, I gotta have faith. Yeah, I hear. Did you yes. hear that? Yes, beautiful. It's like angelic. Yeah, it's it's like because I get to have faith. This reminds me. This reminds beautiful. me of that babysitter uh, mm-hmm. who was obsessed with him. Mm-hmm. I she definitely had no idea he was gay. Yeah. Well, none of us did. Maybe some. How, of us how did. did we not? How did? Well, I mean, I guess I guess if Wham didn't give it away to a certain extent, but. Weren't there rumors, though, about Wham and were they actually together and all this kind of stuff? I don't know. I I, I frustrated him. Definitely 100% people were talking about it because that's just when you look like that and you're dancing around in short shorts. Sure. And you're so like with highlights. I was going to say so happy and just so beaming. There's no like trace of like tough guy machismo, which they inserted into his image with faith, you know, with the visuals of the album. But you know what I read is that that beginning, the organ playing is actually like sort of a, a riff of one of Wham's songs? Yes. So Faith starts with a church organ playing mm. the melody from Wham's 1984 single, Freedom, mm. until it's cut off by the sexy guitar, Bo Diddley-style playing. And the thing is, it sounds kind of like, uh, almost like funeral-like. So to me, it's sort it's like of, the like, death of it's Wham. like the death of Wham. And the, and the, and the rebirth, and like, this is, this is, this is me now. No, this I is dig a different that. guy now. And then when he goes into Freedom 90, he burns the jacket in the video. You're, you're going through all my wearing. facts right oh, now. Oh, sorry. Right now. I was that's so excited. Up. No, that's, that's, you did research. I, <laughs> I love did. that. I did. Oh, it's, and I also knew that from before because, like I said, I've been like a lifelong George Michael fan. So I feel like maybe I'd watch Behind the Music or something like this. And they talked about how burning the jacket was symbolic. It's, of it's very him symbolic. Letting go of, of, of who they wanted him to be. It's just, you know? that's a hard thing that, you know, for him to probably deal with. I think he hated being pigeonholed the way that he was. Yeah. And he also, we all know that it's like he fought with his record label yep this is the second single off the record it's a song about losing faith in your lover i mean plain and simple he explained why he chose the song as the title track saying it represents the way i feel at the moment it's kind of another word for my hope and optimism you know faith to me is just really such a strong word and the more i got into the idea of the song behind the single the more i liked the idea of using it as a title track 
Because this was one of the first digital recordings, George spent hours putting together his vocals line for line, word for word, and often every syllable by syllable to make it as perfect as he could and ha- and still have the emotional feel that he was looking for. Wow. Yeah, and you can kind of hear it when you we were talking about that little falsetto thing. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's like no one would even fucking notice that right. unless you're like sitting there with headphones on. And just, you know, every note that he hits, it, it is a very, very overproduced song and yeah. album. Yeah, it is. But this is a classic. Now, how meticulous are you with your Ooh. work? Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel that I'm a, perfectionist and sometimes that perfectionism can like paralyze me a little bit into like inertia you know where I just like don't do anything because I'm too concerned that the outcome won't be perfect I mean I feel like a good example of this is like years ago like seven years ago I wrote and directed and produced and you know did a little part in this four-part series so I wrote this thing I shot it the whole bit When I was done with it, I was so exhausted. I got a cold. I was just like, and I was so spent creatively that I like didn't really do much in the years after. It's only now that I'm just now sort of getting back into it. It it. takes a lot out of me. It took a lot out of me. And I was so, I didn't want to go there again and just be depleted and things like that. And so that has, that perfectionism has, yeah, scared me. In, in a lot of ways uh, from my, my creativity because I'm just like, it's not going to be perfect enough. It's not going to be, you know, when I'm in it, I'm in it 100% and I work my ass off. It's the getting started part that can be difficult for me because maybe I don't have the proper amount of faith that it's going to be okay. And that, it, and that it, nice callback, right? <laughs> and that it doesn't have to be perfect and that whatever it is, it, it like that freedom that you're meant to have as a creative person is like, well, maybe it'll be a mess. Maybe it'll be a success. Who cares? It's just yeah. a process. Like that's something that I haven't fully been able to embrace. Like, it fails. It's not good. Like, you know, I look, I, I try to watch my shorts now and I can't because I'm just like, this is like first year film student indulgent bullshit. Yeah. Like, I just, you know, I hate it. It's like, I can't even read my diaries from back in the day. I'm just like, oh, no, it's too much. And it's like, but what are you expecting? Like, was the first time you, you ever made a film? It yeah. was the first time you're experiencing it. Like, are they supposed to be perfect? So I'm hard on myself. So I, you know, maybe the lesson at the end of all of this is that we all should have a little more faith in ourselves. Listen to the album. All right. Listen to the album. Something really. Listen without prejudice. <laughs> Goddamn. Okay. Like I, said li- I said live without prejudice, <laughs> but it was, you're right. It's listen without prejudice. Mm-hmm. George was so self-conscious and insecure about controlling his image that he even chose a costume for real life. So this this is the way that he looked. It was just in like he was in the video. The leather jacket, the tight jeans, mirrored aviator sunglasses, and sculpted five o'clock shadow stubble. Mm-hmm. And that was basically everything he had in the video. Now, this is my favorite. I found this quote. I love this so much. He said in 2009 video commentary, I was so overly conscious of my image and at that age and so insecure that I had developed a costume for real life. So this whole thing, that was all an act. He goes, which was that? The only thing I added was the pose. So I knew there was a camp aspect to it. And by then, I'd had sex with men, so I was a little less clueless as to how to portray myself. Mm. So if he was trying to go for straight, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you failed miserably, George. (laughs) You literally went from, like, twink to bear. That's what you did. 
I just love that he was like, I was fucking man. I just, and this I was is like, it. Oh, this is my, this is my. <laughs> yeah, but I need to act more straight. Well, you know, I felt like he was doing kind of like an Elvis thing with like the movements in the. Very Elvis. In the, you know, so he was really trying to do the whole like heartthrob, like American icon type yeah. of thing. But he was having sex. I wonder if Andrew Andrew Ridgely was looking at all of this being like, who the fuck is that guy? Yeah. Like, you know, why is he all of a sudden leather jacket guy? It's the exact opposite of the way Wham was. Yeah, and like it, what about your short shorts and like your big smile and, you know. That's the I thing. Don't I don't understand how my babysitter could be so clueless. How the women of the or the of the mid-80s could right. be so clueless as... We forgot about Wham. And even if we did, though, I don't know that, like, I, I don't know. I feel like the public now feels like they have more of an idea of what gay indicators are you know but maybe back then not so much so maybe there would be probably how could you not tell no listen i think it's different for guys though i feel like straight guys will probably look at george michael and wham and be like that guy's gay but i don't know that women at that time would necessarily unless you had been around gay men or had been around gay culture or something like that i don't know that you would necessarily think that he was gay you might think he's not as you know tough he wasn't like an axel rose or somebody like that but he was just but like, even what axel but did he is was pretty fun. gay axel was a pretty gay but, shit but axel is so but ridiculously would, straight i mean it's like was he seen, was sho- it's like he was shoving his dick down your throat yeah, okay was very so it was very by, clear he had stephanie seymour with him yeah she it was, was very gorgeous. clear that they were all banging what about broads, ricky martin okay? did you know about ricky martin you know what? I don't know that I ever really thought about that. What? Um, Dude, he was gorgeous, shaking his hips, leaving La Vida Loca. Yeah, Loka. no, I never really she thought about it. She, she banged, banged, she banged. That was what threw everybody oh, up. Everybody she thought it was, he was gay. And then he did She Bangs, and like he was like, this will fool him. He's do you like, remember when think he... think I'm straight with She Bangs. Do you That's m- what it's called. She Bangs. But do you remember when he won, uh, Ricky Martin, that is, won the Grammy or something, and like he was doing his, like the speech they give to the press afterward, and like Madonna was like all over him, because you know, she's just like a vampire like that. Whoever's hot, <laughs> she has to like attach her fangs to them. Oh, yeah. And suck the life source out of. <laughs> so I, when I saw that, I was like, because you know, she's also like fetishizes like any ethnic man, too. Um, um, oh, I'm dragging Madonna on this podcast. Uh, I love you, know you Madonna. You know she drinks but some that, Aztec young virgin yes, blood but like, to let's, stay let's, alive yeah, and Yeah, we can take the rose-colored glasses off Madonna, okay? <laughs> but um, I remember being like, oh, she's all over him. So maybe that also made me think that he was kind of straight. I don't know. I just never really thought about it like that. I never. Uh, I also never bought any Ricky Martin music. So I was like, oh, cute song, cute guy. Moving on. Wasn't really my genre. It's just funny that this this album is coming right after Morrissey. We just did The Smiths. And oh, yeah. So it, it's you're getting a lot of homoerotic stuff. Sure. Now, after the fact, and Morrissey, of course, never really came out and said he was gay. But speaking of looks, how self-conscious are you about yours? Hmm. You a vain well, person? I mean, I like to look good. Yeah. I like to be beautiful, as beautiful as possible. Uh, I like to take care of myself. So I'm big on the hair, skin, nails, you know, yeah. trying to lose baby weight. So that's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty vain, I think. But I'm also not so vain that I won't go out with makeup or won't do like an Instagram story with no makeup on. You have a natural terrible. beauty, so you can do that. Thank you. You do. You have, a, very, you. You have a good face. I have a good right. face, too. I can, you do have a I have good a, face. I haven't showered in three days. What? And I still you look fresh look, as a daisy. I still look fuckable, everybody. <laughs> I still look good. Angelo said I could, I could be dropped off at the comedy club being rolled out of the back of a garbage <laughs> <laughs> truck, and women would still be like, look at that guy. 
Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Yeah, I would agree with that, Josh. But the thing is, I've uh, thank you. But the thing is, I've uh, I'm finally okay with like like I used to be that way. Everything was Mm -hmm. meticulous. Just had to be the cool boots, the cool jeans, Mm -hmm. all that shit. Mm -hmm. And now, as I've gotten older, I realize like I've taken notes from Morgan Murphy. Do you know mm-hmm. Morgan? Yeah, yeah. And she just wears comfy clothes all right, the time. And right. now I'm at that age where I'm like, I got some success. I'm going to be comfy. Yeah, that's also the thing too, getting older. You just want to be like comfortable. So now my whole thing is like, Cute, sexy, comfortable, like yeah. stylish but comfortable. So I'm I, I refuse to teeter on like six inch heels anymore. Like I'm not doing it. Like I already have bad knees and stuff. <laughs> so it's like I really am not trying to like. I got bad knees. I got bad knees now. You know it's so funny though. You were talking about yourself and like you know not having showered and stuff. One of my friends, I won't say who, um, text me after you post. Maybe it was something about your birthday or whatever, and she was like. He's only because she thought you were older. Oh yeah, dude. And then she goes, he could still get it. <laughs> you goddamn right. I'm the I'm the I'm the youngest looking fifty eight year old guy in the world. I'm thirty nine, people. I'm thirty. I lived a hard life, man. I lived a hard life, but I wouldn't change a thing. I don't know that it shows in your face that you've had. It's a just hard the gray. Life. Maybe it's just the gray, you know. Yeah. But all right, it still works for you. Thank you, Don. Mm-hmm. George couldn't play guitar. Did you know that? He couldn't play not. guitar when he shot the video, but he faked it because according to him, and I love this, <laughs> Americans, if you stick a guitar on, you've got a bigger penis. Simple hmm. as that. Hmm. Does size matter? <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Morty. I think that, uh, I think that girth matters. It's girth. Girth is in. Really Girth has always been in. What really matters. Yeah, I have a wide penis. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's like it's like a. Po- I'll have to tell my like, friends. No, it's like it's like a coke. <laughs> and can. he's got a wide no. dick. I, it's it's but it's like it's built like a coke can. You get on an airplane like Joshua. One of the, small, <laughs> the small ones that are weird. No, I'm kidding. Is it girth? girth? What about a long stabby penis? Is that stabby? Not stabby, but oh, I, I just assume no. that. Like, I see any tall, white, skinny guy, and I'm just like, I he's mean, probably got a stabby dick. Yeah, nobody, no. You need you need thickness, you need girth, and that, because that, you know, can fill it up a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of girth, <laughs> father figure. <laughs> the next song. It's okay. a fucking masterpiece. It's a beautiful song. I, being as young as I was when the album came out, I remember listening to it. I'm like, wait, is he really talking about being a father or is he talking about being like a boyfriend? I really couldn't tell because 
there's another song which I'm sure we'll get to. I guess it's in "I Want Your Sex," where he's like, "I'm not your brother, I'm not your father." That's, you know, um, talk to your sister. I, I am a lover, and it's like so. It's like wait, so he wants to be my father, but he doesn't want to be my father. Like it was very confusing, mixed messages there. But um, yeah, I, I think this song is perfect. I, mm-hmm. As I said to you off air, I said this is the perfect sex song, and I think yeah. this is actually sex in music. Okay, but it's now, sad. No, it's not. It's sex, dude. Here you go. All right, so the opening with the Egyptian sex organ is like you taking <laughs> off your clothes, right. and then the first. First and second verse are the are the what do you call it the uh, this is the fooling around the first and second mm-hmm. bass shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have the chorus where it picks up that's penetration, mm. and then it speeds up as the chorus goes along, but then it slows down again. Like maybe you got a muscle cramp, you know what I mean? Right, you sure. Can't, you're like, All right, give me do a second, too much. honey. Hang on a minute. Well, yeah. Give me a second. It was a weird position. Just stretch it out a little then, bit. Then then you had to stop for a second. <laughs> like the condom broke, and you're like, All right, give me a second. And then then it gets to that part where it's like, hold on, hold on, and that's and the. That's multiple orgasms, orgasms, and then it becomes the ending, uh, which is just so good. But the best part, just so you know, because they both come, and his last lyric is, Till the end of time. That's just like he nutted. (laughs) Peter, play the ending. He's like, I'm tired. Here, play it. Till the end of time. (laughs) Tell me that doesn't sound like, like somebody coming. I don't know. That song has always felt sad to me. I don't know why, because I maybe because I was confused as a child and I'm still carrying a little bit of that. But it always felt like this was he was trying to like help and love this person who was maybe like resistant to help and love. And he's like, listen, I'm just trying to be there for you. I'm just trying to be like a father. Like, let me hold. But, you know, maybe I, I've misinterpreted it. Well, no, you're kind of right. First of all, this is the fourth single off the record. Mm-hmm. Insane. The lyrics are about being an all encompassing object of affection, including, like you said, mm-hmm. parental. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you were right. Mm-hmm. How is your relationship with your dad? My relationship with my dad is great. Yeah. Yeah, it's really great. He's, you know, I definitely consider him like one of my best friends in the world. You know, we certainly like have our issues and and things like that um, and and moments that, you know, aren't so great. But I have a really good relationship with him. I have like, I think because my parents are divorced, but my dad was very involved in my life. I lived with him every summer in L.A., you know, we kept in touch constantly. So we'd talk on the phone, we'd write letters and things like that. So we were always very close. And so I think that I have somewhat of a, a healthy view of of what a man should be based That's on great. him. Yeah, and I think I also knew too, you know, when it came down to like losing my virginity and things like that, that it had to be like special and I wanted it to be with someone who loved me and you know, that's how it ended up being. So it was great. Um, so yeah, no, we have a really, really good relationship. What's the best advice he's ever given you? Hmm. What is the best advice that my dad has ever given me? Oh my God. He's given me so much advice. Uh, you know what? He always told me that I don't have to say yes right away. That's good. That I can take a Your minute time. Yeah. to answer. 
That's great advice. So, yeah. So I definitely am a person who is like that. I'm not just like, yeah, sure, whatever. You know, even if it's like, you know, plans, I'm always like, wait, let me look at my calendar for Like, you know, I always give myself time to sort of figure out if it's something that I want to do or, you know, if I'm capable of doing or whatever. So I think that's probably the the advice that I think of the most. My dad's best advice, Mm. always go to a restaurant where the owner is there. Okay. How would you know that though? Like, how would that you know if the no owner's chains. there? No chains. No chains. Oh god! You go. You want to mm-hmm. know that the owner is looking at the food mm-hmm. and like making sure because if if it's like there's one restaurant, two, maybe five is the most I'll do. Right. My dad, dude, sure. we had we had we went to the same plate, we same Mexican place, same Italian. Mm-hmm. Never mm-hmm. went to Outback Steakhouse. I'd be mm-hmm. like, I want to go to Outback get a Bloomin' Onion, Dad. Mm-hmm. I get a discount. I'm a busboy there. We right. should We should take advantage of this. Yeah. No. Right. We're going to Italian Pines. It's like, That's do you even know went. who the owner of Outback Steakhouse is, really? You, like... you know, but yeah, exactly. It's a conglomerate <laughs> of like 12 people. Right, exactly. It's a board. It's a dumb fucks. <laughs> the lyrics are sexually ambiguous yeah. as George was not yet open about his homosexuality. Uh-huh. So this is a big secret for him that he didn't want to reveal until later. What secrets have you kept for years before revealing? Oh, my God. Hmm. <laughs> so when Bill and I uh, first started dating, I was working at Tough Crowd uh, with Colin Quinn. And then I had moved on to, I was working at MTV in casting. I was like the casting associate. And they had hired me because- Did you cast I, Real World? Real World? No, I didn't. Um, it was interesting because I was in a place where like they couldn't decide if Road they rules? were going to go through with like <laughs> continuing to do like original stuff or move into reality. And we, we know where, we it, know where ended, it went. We know where it ended up going there. But um, I was very unhappy at the job. I couldn't really figure out why. But I think just through- he and I hanging out and watching TV together especially like the Simpsons and things like that like things that I just love to watch over and over again he said to me he was like wait like you want to be a performer like you're an actor like and so that was something that I was like (gasps) he sees me yeah and that was the beginning of and his acceptance of that and his encouragement of that was what led me to eventually leave the job and start doing plays and all this other kind of stuff because I went to Emerson College originally as an acting major like I auditioned to get into school Mm -hmm. and so I had done my first year as an acting major and I was insecure and I wasn't really sure about myself and there were so many kids in my class who were crying all the time and spilling their guts and really doing the work to access these emotions and I was trying to figure out okay well what sadness do I have okay my parents are divorced Okay, but I was three years old when that happened. Like, I was still sort of in denial of this, the things that the divorce did to me emotionally as sure. a child. Of course, so I heavy. wasn't, yeah, so I wasn't able to access it. So I really wasn't sure if I could be an actor or not. And then here's something in terms of my dad. Dad, you know, I love you, but this is the truth. We've, and we've talked about this. He was out here, my dad in LA. He was working as a manager, he managed comedians, he worked in television and things like that. And he had said to me, do you still want to be an actor? Do you still want to do acting? And I said, and even though I was not sure because I was having these classes and I'm like, am I good? Am I not good or whatever? Um, I was like, "Uh, yes, yes, I do. And he says, okay, well then you need to leave Emerson and come out here and go to a cheaper school because it'll be like in state and just be an actress. And I was like, 
I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave Emerson. I didn't want to leave my boyfriend. Yeah. I didn't want to leave, you know, he goes, or you have to change your major. So I changed my major to media arts or something. Yeah. Media arts. And so that was sort of where my creative ambition kind of got halted, like as a performer. Yeah. So that was something that had sort of been lingering in the back of my heart or whatever for many, many years. But it was only sort of even recently that I've been able to fully articulate that that's why, you know, I took that detour because I didn't want to leave it. And I just felt like I had no other choice and I didn't have enough passion and security in myself yet to say to my dad, no, I want to stay here. I want to learn. These people are teaching me how to be an actor. I'm learning like the Stanislavski method. We're talking about sense memory. We're doing all these exercises to help me be a better actor. I need to stay. And that's something that I've always sort of regretted. Like, I'm like, you know, I wish I was stronger, but I was a kid. My dad worked in the entertainment industry, so I felt like he knew what was best. And when we talked about it later on, and I was like, why did you do that to me? Like, why did you make me choose? Why did you make me change my major? And he was like, well, I guess maybe I had my manager hat on and I was thinking, you know, I, you need to be like as young as possible to start out. And I was like, Dad, I still would have been young at 21 years old. Oh, my God. It's a baby. To be an actor. Like, you know, and I guess, yeah. So that was always a thing that kind of just like tripped me out. But I think secretly he maybe didn't want me to be an actress like he just was like it's too much rejection it's or maybe he didn't it's a hard think life that i could I mean, do it i could see what's you know? a parent wanting to protect their child from getting rejected it's yeah tough. yeah exactly so that's that's the thing so from that point on i feel like from from leaving mtv on i was like 28 at the time i've been trying to play like catch up and to sort of make up for that time in my life or really more letting it go And feeling like, you know what, that's what happened. I was meant to be here. Now I have a very 360 view of the business because I've worked in casting. I've worked in production. I've been an actor. I've done done voiceover. I've done everything. I've done like craft services. I was the second, second AD. Like I've done so much. So I, I really have an understanding of like the whole business now. I used to do crafty. You did? You did did crafty? crafty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was a PA for many years. Like we've talked about on Keeping Up with the Kardashians, your favorite TV show. In the whole TV world, show. you definitely watch it. 100%. Oh God, I watch it. Yeah, of course. I watch. Every- the thing is, you know, I watch that show and I literally have no reaction. Like I just watch. They're it. dead it's inside. Just lights, you know that, lights right? on a box. They're all I- dead inside. It's They're like, why am I you. even? Yeah, I'm like, why am I even watching this? I don't have a reaction to anything that's happening, and I, yet I, I was, still watch it. I was a PA on a porno. Oh. Uh, for a month, it was for Playboy TV called Foursome, uh-huh. and. Uh, and that was cool because what did you do as a PA like, on a point? I guess anything honestly, for production because it was all right. So it was it was two guys, two girls, and then always be like either an extra girl or an extra guy mm-hmm. um, would go to this house that they had I guess rented in on Mulholland, so mm-hmm. like a big mansion, mm-hmm. and they'd show up and they'd feed them alcohol and then hope they fucked. Wow, that was it. That was it. <laughs> they made them play sex games. Ran for like four seasons, produced by Du Bois Entertainment. Oh, so it was like Every, a reality show. It was a reality porno. Oh my God. And you had the reality had experience. To, dude, it That's was so like funny. they start fucking and, and, and then I'd have to like I'd have to like clean the sheets. I had to go on a dildo run once. Oh my that god. That was great. Did they tell you what kind of dildo to get like specifically? There were seven. Oh my goodness. Seven dildos. <laughs> various sizes. They said 
dealer's choice for mm-hmm. five of them, but we need these two sp- in particular. Who was the one that gets to like get seven dildo? Like who makes that executive decision? The guy ran up to me like it was like he was passing me like the codes to the nuclear. What launch. guy? The director? The, 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 AD? One of the, no, the, the production coordinator. Oh, okay. Yeah, dude, it's all a chain of com- you know that it's, it's a whole chain, chain of commands. commands. <laughs> dude, I'm not talking to director Joe Gidry. Actually, I know Joe. Joe's probably listening to this. He's great. But it was just like it was like Josh. We need you to get seven dildos. Two of them have to be uh, double-edged uh, dildo, so it's about 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 two feet long. And oh then we need God. and then we need one with a tickler. The rest you can get on your own. And I was like, done, done. And I, I was a man on a mission. I jumped in my uh, my Pontiac uh, or Plymouth, you know, fucking station wagon or mm-hmm. van that they had rented me and saved the day. All right. <laughs> so Georgia- double-edged. Double dildo. edged dildo from the Makes movie. Makes me think of. Wait, are we going to say this right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Ass, ass, ass to ass. ass. Oh, oh my god, that movie. It's fantastic. I, I, I saw that in the theater uh, in Washington D.C. And there was the there was an old mm-hmm. couple, and then there was like this white dude, and then there was me. It was like two p.m. on like a Wednesday. And then the old couple left because mm-hmm. halfway in because they couldn't take it. Yeah, it's too and so much. as I walked out, I would have talked to somebody. So I went right over to the guy that was in the theater as well. And mm-hmm. I was like, hey, man, uh, I was like, what do you think? And he goes, don't talk to me. He just <laughs> kept walking. I was like, yeah, that's what kind of I feel. <laughs> Michael directed the video with Andy Moran, uh, who also worked uh, on the videos for Faith, I Want Your Sex and Monkey. And mm-hmm. Michael and Morahan won the award for best direction in a video for Father Figure mm-hmm. at the 19th. 1988 MTV Music Awards. I don't remember the music video for this song. For Father Figure? Wait, Tony Scott, Ridley Scott's brother? Because it was Tony Scott's girlfriend who played the girl in the video. And he was like directing her and the the guy, who, what was I, I was, I got it from like Genius, where it was like a four day shoot and it was like 20 hour days and it was really hard and it was a lot, but like George was working his ass off and whatever. But yeah, the director, Tony Scott, was directing his girlfriend in like the bed scenes with, with George Michael. And really? he was like, be rougher with her. I do know that David Fincher directed, uh, Freedom 90. I'm almost positive. It looks like it's shot like the movie The Game. D- yes. You know what I mean? Not, yes. not, not Wait, Fight Club, but, but also, The Game. No, but The Game. But David Fincher also directed the video for Bad Girl by Madonna. Do you know that video with Christopher Walken? I don't. That video is epic and actually has an actor who was in The Game too, like a tall white-haired man. I don't remember his name. But anyway, yeah, Fincher directed like the hell out of some videos yeah, in the 90s. Did. Like, did. For real. All right, next one, I Want Your Sex, part one and two. <laughs> part one and two. That's what it's called. That's <laughs> yeah. what it's really called. Do you like this? You I like love it. Oh, my God. I love it. It's great. I like how it's like two different songs or like three different songs. So like, you know. It's actually, I think, a four-part song because then yeah. the last song is the second part of this. Um, yep. So this was actually released as the first single, which I right. find to be so weird. because It's with, very bold. Very, very bold. Uh, but it definitely probably got people's attention because yeah. I don't think there were many songs with the word sex in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? There was... Yeah. There was much m- less making I want love. Your Feel sex. like making love, sure. but not sex. I want your also like I want your sex. Like, does anyone ever say that? Like, I want your sex. Like, I want to have sex with you. Yeah. I want your body. I want your mouth or That's, whatever. But now you're being but very I want specific. Your sex. You're being specific. I want to. I want sex. That sex isn't fucking. It's just. Yeah. It's just sex. Sex is I all encompassing. That could be BDSM. That could be a whole bunch of shit. Sex is. But sex is also like your um like your gender also. 
you know, like Maybe I, I, I want, want your, your gender. I don't know. I want your gender. I want whatever your gender is. I want it. <laughs> I, I think this. I think this song is cheese, uh, but I think it's good. You think cheese. it's cheese? I think it's, but I think it's good cheese. Like this isn't bad cheese. I think the reason I I think it's cheese is one of the biggest stars of the song is the cowbell. Uh, <laughs> Peter, play forty five <laughs> seconds in for me, buddy. The little falsetto is so good. It's like there are little things in this song that I really like. He has these little vocal inflections that I love. Now, the album version runs over nine minutes long. Mm -hmm. Like we said earlier, part three is only on the CD and cassette. So we'll review that at the end of the record. In the liner notes, the song is listed as the... Monogamy mix <laughs> with the parts being rhythm one lust and rhythm two brass in love. Now, oh. this is my favorite. According to George Michael, sex is natural, it's chemical, it's logical, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's habitual, it's sensual. Sex is something that we should do. Sex is something for me and you. Sex is natural, sex is good. <laughs> what else what else is sex? <laughs> Not everybody does it, but everybody should. Yeah. Um what else I guess is it sex? wasn't what else is sex? Sex is um kind of gooey. Kind of gooey. <laughs> sex is primal. Sex is animalistic. Sex is natural. Does he say natural? He already said natural. Um Did say natural. Sex is healthy. It really is. It's, I'll tell you, man. Sex is a stress reliever. So you're in a marriage, so you have your designated partner. I, I'm out and about trying to find shit in this world. You're out in these streets. I'm out in these streets. I'm mm-hmm. on Raya. I don't mm-hmm. know why. Uh, I finally, I, I was playing the game with them, and I had the, the good pictures of me up, and then I just changed my profile picture to one of me and Lekka, where mm-hmm. I'm like holding her, and then I'm holding my vacuum. Mm-hmm. I'm really proud of that thing <laughs> that you unplugged. Um <laughs> But sorry, but I mean it, it's it's tough and and it's well, like, wait wait what were you going for with the holding of the dog and the vacuum? It's like I love animals and I clean like yeah, that. I don't know, man. I think it's, were you just trying I, to like up your chances? I like it's adorable. Trying to like uh, it's kind of adorable. The, fucking the dog senses. and the dog and the fucking vacuum, dude. They know. Hey, listen, they're like that guy's got a Dyson. He's probably successful mm-hmm, without a Dyson. Be, without being successful. That's a five hundred dollar vacuum. I mean, get a shark. Maybe we can talk. Go but, like, fuck yourself, dude. Dude, I'll put my Dyson. <laughs> up against your shark any day of the week so trying to flex with your dyson okay basic but what i've noticed about what i've noticed about sex is that it's it's um you know there's i get i'm not as fixated as i've gotten older mm-hmm. so it's like there are nights that i'm like man i'm really horny i i should go out or you know meet a girl or blah blah blah, blah. Mm-hmm. and then i jerk off and i'm fine i'm at yeah. the jerk off and fine age yeah yeah sure never was like that in my 20s right my early 30s uh, you know that was when i really had the bulk of my relationships um so i think i'm at a point now where it's like i just had a lot of fun and i'm just i'm fine with like like i did have sex this week though oh you did i did Okay, that's I was, good. I, she was very, very sweet girl. Oh, that's nice. Very sweet. Sweet girl. Oh, we'll probably hang out again. Oh, okay. I was gonna say, does that mean that like you're not gonna hang out again? Is that code for? Oh, she's a sweet girl. Not at all. Next. Not at all. But she, I don't think she's the. I don't think she's a girl I'm gonna marry. I just mm-hmm. think we were like, you know, and that's kind of what I'm looking for right now. Right. Right. It's tough. That's tough. Yeah. You can always find somebody to fuck. To find somebody sure. to be in a relationship with, spend time with, go to the movies with. Yeah. You know, have to yep. deal with their families, like you know, health problems, just everything. Yeah. That's. You, that yeah. needs to be the right person. That's yeah. and that's then. Then it's not sex. Then it's love making. I 
Oh my God, my husband's going to kill me talking about this. Please don't get me in trouble. But I won't get you in trouble. It's all me. But I remember before I met him, when I was out in these streets as well, when I was a young 20-something girl, I was... I was having sex with my downstairs neighbor in my building. It happens. Happens. Um, and then not good though. That's not a good. That's not a good plan. No, it's not, it wasn't a good plan. In retrospect, it wasn't a good plan. But at the time, it was hella convenient. So you know, oh, yeah. it all works. We didn't, Sup, go, Tony? We didn't go nowhere. Like he tried to bang me in the laundry room. Doing I was like, laundry? That's too much. That's <laughs> yeah. too much. But like, yeah. So I. So we had been having sex, and then I had met this other guy, and he was supposed to come over to my apartment. And um, he was like in the studio or whatever the fuck, you know, I'm at the studio. I'm gonna come by and see you afterwards. So I'm like, okay, you know, so I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And it's like 10, 1030. And I was just like, you know what? Like, I can't wait any longer. Yeah. So I called my friend, my downstairs neighbor, did what had to be done. And then when he came over, I was just like, I'm like done, like I'm over it. So I just kind of, you know, it wasn't really, I don't know, but I couldn't wait like i literally just could not wait so i was like i have to i have to do something here yeah. so i did the neighbor and then he ended up getting the short end of the stick but you know you snooze you lose you snooze you lose that's what i've, I've snoozed on a lot of relationships right you know right but uh, but i'm kind of fine with it now yeah i'll find the special person and you will i definitely oh i've already got lekka i'm halfway Aww, there that's right due to the controversial <laughs> direct title and nature of the song which many mistook for being about promiscuity and casual sex during the time of the aids crisis many mm. stations wouldn't play it at all mm-hmm. or only played it at night. Mm. That is considered to be the reason that this only made it to number two on the charts oh, with all those things against it. <laughs> Did you grow up with apprehensions or fears about sex? What it was going to be like, not what it was going to be like, but that I was going to get pregnant because that was my your mom, big fear. That's a yeah, big fear. Cause my mom was like, I remember asking her if I could go on the pill when I was in high school or something like that. And she was like, uh, I think you need to wait till you get out of my house. So I was like, okay. So I waited until I was in college to actually have sex. But I, but the summer before college, I'm just trying to think, is this right? I think the summer before college, so I was like 17 or something. And I had a boyfriend who was 21. And I was really crazy about him. I wouldn't say that I was in love with him, but I was in deep lust and Mm -hmm. I wanted to have sex with him. I wanted to lose my virginity. And I remember asking and like begging and he was like, no, 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 no. We should wait. I don't think you're ready. You know, blah, blah, blah. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, like that's so sweet. He's like waiting for me. But now I realize he was waiting for me to turn 18 because otherwise it would have been very illegal. (laughs) So, um, so like the moment I turned 18, he was always he was all of a sudden like yeah let's 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 do it and by then let me see ID let me yeah, see your ID I was like got ID card and by that time <laughs> like he he had gone to the he drove me in his car he went to the the drugstore or whatever and he picked up condoms and lube because you know first time I got I don't I don't fucking know what he was it's planning a good on purchase, doing I guess I but mean. we then go to his boy's apartment. And his boy was in the bathroom, like cutting his hair, like giving himself a fade or whatever. And he was like, let's go into the bedroom. And I was just, it just occurred to me. I was like, oh my God, he's trying to have sex with me in this apartment with his homeboy cutting his hair in the bathroom. And I was like, no, no, no. And so that was kind of, then it sort of like petered off from then. And then I met my boyfriend 
in college and that was like and a real loving relationship special. yeah yeah and we like i lost my virginity after a jamiroquai concert no lie <laughs> <You> were, we, <laughs> dead ass the big hats uh, made you wet i guess that, I that, just, that big he the big jamiroquai <laughs> hat and the weird dancing got you all hot and bothered in, the, in your britches <laughs> he, he introduced me to jamiroquai my college boyfriend and so for my birthday i lost on my 19th birthday he took me to see Jamiroquai at the Fleet Center. Yep. So we went and we saw that concert and then like, yeah, and that was that. Then it was on and popping. Jamiroquai sealed the deal for that. I mean, that's literally <laughs> like every time I hear Jamiroquai, like that's what I think of. I think <laughs> of that relationship. I think of that time in my life. I think about the fact that I lost my virginity after a concert. Like it's so crazy. It's a time yeah. you're, you're all caught up in, in big 90s <gasps> sweaters and oh, the huge, goodness gracious. huge puffaluffagus hats. And, yeah. and you're just like, this motherfucker this is getting something it. tonight. This I'm is a, it. I'm going to fuck the shit out of this motherfucker. He introduced me to Jamiroquai and uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, DJ White Shadow? No. I don't even know who that is, but no. it just sounds awesome. Wait, is that White Shadow? DJ White Shadow. DJ Shadow. No Oh, DJ Shadow's a shit. DJ Shadow. Yeah, dude. Introducing is one of the best albums I've ever Oh, my God. Introducing. That opening. Oh, who are you going to do that one with? Well, who knows? I know. Who knows? Like, by the way, we were shit-talking Madonna. She's going to be on in about four years probably right so, <laughs> so i'm gonna cut that part out yeah cool facts about this in the video for this george writes explore monogamy and lipstick on the back of his reported girlfriend right. makeup artist kathy young mm-hmm. um also he played all the instruments himself mm-hmm. during this song in the recording and there's is there a guitar in it I think there's. I think it's. I think there is. Because I, I thought I he did. Because I, I thought he didn't play guitar, but maybe he learned how to play guitar after the music video for Faith or something. Uh, you know what? I don't know if he ever played. I don't think there is guitar on this. I think mm, this is okay. all yeah. synth driven. Right. But right, there is right. drums and there's cowbell <laughs> for sure. There's cowbell. The, ori- for sure. the original video is considered too risque, so an edited version was made. He even filmed a safe sex PSA that MTV required to be played every time before the video aired. Well, and when he says explore monogamy, is is that not him? trying to be a somewhat responsible about the you no, know he having is. sex. hundred percent. But that's yeah. just that's what was going on in America. I remember this in eighty the early eighties, that was when or the mid eighties was when uh Tipper Gore oh, uh, yeah. was the one that's trying that to said, ban everybody. Ban everybody. Two mm-hmm, live crew mm-hmm. and and you know NWA and mm-hmm. there, there was a lot of shit. So to have you, we forget that. Yeah. We really forget that because now I mean Risque is like literally like it, it's it's like a shot of like of like straight genitals. Right. Yeah. Everything else is fine. Yeah, everything now. else is fair game. Ass is fair game on TV. Instagram is porn. Instagram is porn. It's porn, man. Yeah. Dude, Twitter, Twitter too. Twitter is Twitter, Twitter, too. Twitter really is porn. I came across. I don't even know how I ended up on it. I was like, what the fuck? Like I was following someone who and I was going through their feed and they had like retweeted something and I was like, they are retweeting straight porn. I need to unfollow this person. Yeah. A little too much. little too much, but yeah. I think that uh, Twitter is straight porn and Instagram is Cinemax around 11 p.m. at night. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, it's softcore. Mm-hmm. Softcore. You can't, show, you can't show the butthole brown. If you see butthole brown, <laughs> if you see that little, that little change in color, that, that picture gets taken yep. off. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. 
Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Gotta, gotta take it out. All right. Or put a little emoji on it. Put a little star, yeah, like just, a twinkling thing over but it. That's how, literally, it's, you know, that's why I try to avoid it, because <laughs> it does turn me on. And then <laughs> then you gotta go to the next song, which is One More Try. Peter, play the intro to it. This has me right from the synth. This is one of my favorite songs in the album. Peter, also I want you to play minute one, second 14. This whole section, when he, as soon as he says the words, because teacher... All the things that I don't want to learn and the last one I had made me cry. So I don't want to le- I don't want to learn to hold you, touch you, think that you're mine. This mm-hmm. is such a beautiful song. So beautiful. Um, it's also I think it's just it's after those first three songs to to do such a a tonal shift. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's it done does, rock. Yeah. He's done I don't know like hieroglyphic sex music. <laughs> right. Then he just did straight sex music, and then yeah. he has just I put this song up there with anything by you know. Uh, Luther Vandross mm-hmm. or, you know, Al B. Shore, any of the mm-hmm. artists that were out at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a pure soul song. Yeah. And it does like because when we were texting about it, I was like, it does it does shift like this, you know, and this song, too, is really interesting because, you know, he's had enough of what he was had enough of danger and people on the street. And so he's just like sort of worn out by like crime and poverty and all these sad things that are happening in the world. And so he doesn't even want to like try to get close to anybody. Because it's too much, you know. And by the end, he's like, "Okay, maybe, maybe just one more try. Maybe I'll give love a chance." But like, the whole world is burning, and I just can't right now. I just don't have the energy to give it to you. you this know? is the fifth single on the record, and this was also a very personal song that was very close to his heart. He said about my attitude coming out of my last relationship and into this new one when I was pretty unwilling to be open to anything. Mm-hmm. So we had learned. What had you learned about yourself from previous relationships that allowed you to be so open in your current one? Hmm. I think I learned who I am. Whereas before I was still, I mean, listen, I'm still discovering who I am, but back then 
I really didn't know who I was. So I think I was more trying to mold myself into what other people wanted or what I thought they wanted and, you know, sort of playing this whole role. Like Bill says, like when he first met me, you know, I was trying to be like the femme fatale, you know, because I think I've been dealing with a lot of dudes that wanted to hang out with me and wanted to fuck me and all this other kind of stuff, but they weren't trying to be my boyfriend. They weren't really trying to be in a relationship. Yeah, you're the hot, you were working on tough crowds, so you got all these guys walking right. in. And you're, if you, what were you doing? You PA? I was a, like assistant talent coordinator. So you're I was like in the green, I was yeah, in the green you're room. Coordinator. You're getting coordinator, people to sign dude. We're, all, we're always trying to fuck the coordinators. Right. So I just. <laughs> What's up, Tina? How you doing? Oh, you right. Got Tina, got the coordinator. Yeah. That was girl? me. That was me and my time cards. And so I think I was just sort of like, oh, you don't want to have a girlfriend? Well, I don't want to have a boyfriend. So it's cool. We can just hang out because I don't want to have a boyfriend. And I was always like disappointed. And before that, too, I had revisited a relationship that I was in in college. So not the one I lost my virginity to, but another boyfriend that I had after that, I had gotten back into a relationship with him, even though. I really didn't want to. I got back into it because I felt guilty because yeah. I cheated on him in college like the whole time because, you know, I was just trying to like fill a void. So I decided to date him again and I was like, we don't need to be monogamous. We can see other people. He was like, no, 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 let's be monogamous. So he was trying to make up for being a shitty boyfriend to me and I was trying to make up for being a shitty girlfriend to him even though he didn't know and he doesn't know unless he's listening and somehow figures it out so i think by the time i had met bill now listen i was still very young when i met bill i was 25 years old when i met bill i was like still a kid you know and looking back on it but i think i had more of a sense of who i was and like i said and what i wanted so when i met bill i wasn't interested in just playing around I wanted to be. You wanted a full on relationship. And I wanted somebody to like take me out, take me out on dates, court me, hang out with me. He seems chivalrous. I mean, he seems like he, dude, he's he's like one of the old schoolest guys I've ever met. And that's beautiful to see that in somebody. So. Yeah, no, very much so. And like he, like was very respectful of me and like my boundaries and stuff. And like, you know, I mean, listen, we had fire chemistry, you know, still do, but we had insane chemistry, but I was just trying not to repeat the same mistakes Sure. where I just fall into like the passion of it and just kind of like go with the flow. I was like, no, take me out to dinner. Like take me out during the day. Cause that was the other thing too. I felt like I was just meeting these guys who just wanted to hang out with me at night. But on some like, oh, let's go have lunch, go see a movie shit. It was like ugh, crickets. You know what I mean? So yeah. that was the other thing, too. I had to get out of this idea that, you know, when you play like the cool girl role, like that, uh, that monologue from that crazy bitch and gone girl where you're like doing like the cool girl thing. Yeah. Where you're just like, oh, yeah, sure. Like I'll hang out and like watch you play Madden for like three hours straight and just smoke weed. You don't have to take me anywhere. I don't need anything. I don't want. It's like, no, I need to be taken out. I need to be made to feel special i need you know i need attention that's what i want and so to to go from acting like i didn't need that attention to being able to say like i want attention i want to feel special i was lucky enough to meet someone that was like well i want to give you attention and i want to make you feel special so boom let's do this that's great yeah elton john has said about this song i don't get jealous of many many songs (laughs) but i'm jealous of this song I'd love to have written this. Mm. Of whose career are you most jealous or envious of? Oh, my Lord. Well, I wouldn't say envious or jealous, 
But it, I do feel some type of way when there is a black woman who is acting, directing, producing. Because that to me is like the the ideal sure. career. So like somebody like Regina King, for example, who has a fucking Oscar and has a deal with Netflix and has directed and has been acting since she was a kid. She is someone that I'm not jealous of, but I definitely look up to her. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, if I were to have anybody and she's a mom and, you know, like if I could have anyone's career, it would be hers. And it's so funny because I played her sister in a pilot that didn't go anywhere. And she was so kind to me. I had like a line and she threw me things so that I would have more to say. Oh, sweet. She did that to like look out for me and just to kind of like uplift another sister, you know? And then, then she and Bill did a pilot that didn't end up going anywhere. And she sort of played a version of me. Oh, wow. Which was weird. Yeah. Cause what it was like, was that on? Was that it was, go? it was just a pilot, okay. you know? And it was like, you know, he was, Bill was Bill and his wife was black and they were trying to have a baby. And it was, it was sort of mirroring our life at the time. Bill so was I was about to be in like a mad about you. Not a bad about you. What was the whole premise of it? Oh God! That oh, I don't want. I don't want to say just in case it like and I don't know comes back or whatever. But no, it wasn't like that. It was more he had a career and then something happens and he's trying to put it back together. I'll, I'll, I'll okay, say no, I'll say it. that. But yeah, so it's weird. So she's played my sister and then she's also played like this sort of version, version of, of me. Yeah. So and also also when you Google me, <laughs> did, you, did you say to herself like that's not how I would have? Yeah, that's actually. not what I would have done. Yeah, but I was like right I was I was so excited when she was cast and even like I was there on set where they were having these very intimate scenes and they were like kissing each other and I was just like so into it. It's really weird. But also she, her picture comes up when you Google me which is so fucking annoying and I'm just like I don't even know who I need to talk to about that because it's like you know Google does that to black people all the time but I'm like how (laughs) but I'm just wondering how it even happens like how they would even put her in there as me like I don't who got just, that confused it just happens sometimes I mean, uh, yeah you, I don't you know Google me and, and you know whose so, picture comes up yeah, me actually see but, you know, but that's what I'm saying I'm a huge star okay I'm right a, I'm a huge huge I'm 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 Nia Long but with a dick <laughs> Nia Long dick <laughs> Mariah Carey covered this song in 2014 one more try Yep. Mm. What the hell is wrong with her? I did not know that. She, has she gone crazy? Is Mariah Carey gone crazy? Uh, Mariah must be on this list. She must. I have don't an know. Album. Maybe <gasps> like her first record. Listen, I, I've only I only know what's I know the 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 top ten, and mm. then I know like the first fifty albums going down. Right. Because right. that's what I'm working on. Right. 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 All right. Next song, Hard Day. Now, originally. I wasn't feeling this, and then I thought. And you're like, it, wait. <laughs> and I, yeah, I, well, I thought it was a lot less than the first four, mm-hmm. but then yesterday when I did my full big pass on this record, I, I found it to, to not only be in in the list with the first four songs, but to be in a whole completely another class, because this is like he's doing another genre. This, mm-hmm. in my in my opinion, this song is his like kind of hip hop influence one. It's just the inflection of the way that he's singing. Uh, well, then he has this like sort of quasi trying to rap. Yeah, it's what I'm saying. But then yeah. he's like, he's like. Sweet little boy without that back now. Peter, uh, play, play his chorus because it's so catchy. <laughs> Yeah. 
take me where their eyes can't find us without you i may as well just i just i just really really love this song man this follows the album's recurring theme michael's plea of passion he wants his desire to see him the way he does them and sleep with him basically sex is all they've got but it's good, and he needs nothing more. This was also the third single. So this is a song about being brought down. What brings you down? Don't bring me down. <laughs> you know, I'm, you know, ever since having a child, I'm a really big softy. And it's hard for me to watch anything where children are affected. Yeah. You know, um, so obviously, you know, everything going on at the border and stuff like that is very hard uh, to digest. But even movies where there's like children in peril um, makes me very nervous. Um, so I, that that brings me down. On and- the last verse, George used the same technique of speeding up his voice to portray a female. So that was him that was rapping. Mm-hmm. That wasn't. That was just him. Yeah. That he was, he was trying to find a way, a voice style to portray a female that Prince used for his songs as his female alter ego, Camille. Mm-hmm. Yes. These genius control freak musicians can do everything, including being their own female <laughs> co-stars. Being their own female MCs. That's yeah. insane that mm-hmm. they both did that. In an industry that is so male dominated by design, how do you and how have you been able to assert yourself? Uh, by not being afraid to speak up. And that's tough because you know, in this business, the entertainment industry, it's like all about getting people to like you, right? It's all about getting people to find it's you the charming. Schmooze. It's the schmooze. You be charming. I would want to hang out with that person. We need to cast someone that you want to be, you know, that's your best friend. You know, you want to be that guy. You want to be friends with that guy. You want to be that girl. You want like, so it's all about being this like perfect person. And so you find yourself acting maybe a little bit more ridiculous than you do in your real life just to try to like make people like you and make things be okay. And I I am a firm believer in being kind and being cool and getting along with people and not popping off for no reason. But I also think it's important to assert yourself and if you feel like, you know, someone's being rude or whatever to find a way to sort of tactfully put them in their place yeah or at least you know say something that acknowledges what they did and then just kind of like move on so and i think that's hard for a lot of women to do because it has been ingrained in us to be nice be cool relax don't freak out oh my god you're taking things so seriously like calm down like it's not such a big deal so you're you're sort of editing yourself like if I say this, I'm going to be seen as being like freaking out or shrill or, you know, you're yeah, if a woman afraid gets of all in those the workplace, things. Everybody thinks she's a bitch. Right. You and get you yelled know, at by a woman in work. It's, it's that's how. Yeah. She's such a yeah. bitch. And the thing is, though, but I feel, too, that and this is not on some like, you know, meg guys, too. But I, I feel like guys go through that, too, because I have not I don't think I found myself in a situation. And I'm just being honest here where there's a man who's being a complete dick and people don't say that he is a dick. Yeah. Because, I mean, maybe his end result 
has has created something masterful and really cool. So people are like, he's a genius. But the people around him know that he's a dick and know that he's a bad person. And so when he goes down, like certain people recently have gone down, there's not necessarily going to be people jumping in to defend them, like Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein, everybody knows he's a fucking asshole. So did you see anybody besides... <laughs> No, Lindsay Lohan, maybe who made some bizarre remark about it. Did anybody come out to defend him and be like, you know what? I know these things are happening, but he's always been great to me. He's always been like, not really. Yeah. Maybe celebrities who sat next to him at some fucking gala. No, everybody did. But yeah. everyone was like, hmm, you know, they were all praying for his demise. So, you know, I, I don't know. But yes, a woman is definitely seen as a bitch. And I don't think that you have to be. I think there's a way to be strong and assertive and not be a bitch. But yes, people do confuse the two a lot when it when it comes to to being a woman. So I think one of the things that I want to instill in my daughter is is not being afraid to say what you need to say in order to express yourself. Yeah. And if you're wrong, then you apologize. You know, but but say it. Don't be afraid to say it. Don't be afraid Speak to up say for yourself. Yeah. No, I don't want that. No, I'm not going to do that. No, that makes me uncomfortable. No, I don't think that's a good idea. Don't be afraid of your own voice. So um, that's what, for everybody listening to. That's for everybody it's, listening. Honest damn to it. God, like, don't be afraid to stick up for yourself. You, yeah, you deserve it. One of the things that I, I I'd ask my trainer because we do like boxing and he does self defense classes. I say, so, you know, you have these classes where you do self-defense and women are like, you know, go for the groin and gouge his eyes out and things like that. But when you're in the moment, you don't know how it's going to be because you might freeze up and get scared. Like, how do you teach people to push through that? And he said, you can't be afraid of hurting someone. And that blew my mind. The idea that you might be afraid to actually inflict physical harm. Like if you push someone away and they topple backwards your instinct is to be like, sorry, 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 sorry. I just, I just didn't, didn't want to do that, you know? Yeah. So to be able to just push them away and be like, fuck you, get away from me loudly, it doesn't guarantee that you'll necessarily be safe, but I think it's important for women to learn how to do that without fear. I completely agree. But that's, that's hard to do. It's a lot of years of, of being nice and making nice and making sure people feel comfortable and be ladylike and don't be rude, you know? Lady in the streets. <laughs> Wait, no, it'd be fighter in the streets. Fighter in the street. That's Lady what it is. Lady in the sheets. Yes. Hand to mouth. I mm -hmm. love this song. Peter, play the opening verse because I love this so much. Basically, he's telling this story about Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy got nothing, made himself a name with a gun that he polished for a rainy day, a smile and a quote from a vigilante movie. Our boy Jimmy just blew them all away. Ooh, timely. Now, very, very timely. Uh, <laughs> but also, I mean, it's it could be, you know, talking about his dick. You know, who knows? What? Blow, blow, he, j our boy Bluey, Jimmy blew them all away. You never know because, you, you know, he was he was into it, right. which is great. I think it's kind of I think this song kind of falls off during the gods of America part. I didn't like that weird key change. Yeah, still, I believe. Yeah, it's still yeah. a good song, though. Right, right. Now, this was the B-side to Faith. 
stylistically, as you can hear, a lot of Prince's admitted influence on this and several other songs on the record. But also lyrically, this song is very much like Prince's song, Sign of the Times, mm. which came out earlier that year. This is as political as George gets on Faith, by the way. Uh, he's talking about America. Uh, you're 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 a very yeah. political person. No, you're not. <laughs> I uh, I have opinions. Yeah, but I wouldn't say that I'm terribly political. Well, what do you think are the best and worst things about America? Well, um, the best things are that to uh, a certain extent, you can come from nothing and make something of yourself. Um, I think that's the, the way it's really evident to me is, is when immigrants come to America and become a success story, like Caesar Milan, right? The dog whisperer. Sure. I know. Coming from Mexico. Good friend of mine. Is he? No, I have oh. no idea. Never um, so anyway, <laughs> see, see, he came to this country and I think he barely spoke the language and he was able to sort of like build this empire. I like, could you go to Mexico and become like a star in Mexico? I don't know. I don't know that like that's necessarily not right now. The but give me six months but of, yeah. <laughs> of Spanish too and community college. Get and that Rosetta Stone popping yeah. and you'll be all set. So I feel like that's good. It's like you really can build yourself up but you know the worst things about america are you know all the like horrible injustices that have started from the the time that you know uh, a white person set foot on this this land yeah so that is you know it's the what they call the america's original sin that's the yeah. worst part and 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 how that has still affected people so many years later it's that's, still that's a great country, part. though. Like you gotta, you gotta admit, it's just like this country is, is just it's so fucked up. But dude, the world yeah. is fucked up, dude. Yeah. And this is like, none, nobody's completely free, and, right? And if you're if you're alive, and so I, I think just like I sat down with Peter Billingsley, mm -hmm. uh, and Peter is just he this, that motherfucker loves America, mm -hmm. and and he made some really good points. It's just like just like that, you can really go from being the poorest person in the world mm -hmm. and and be a complete success mm -hmm. and there's not many places that you can do that yep but so that's 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 definitely the best part of it and it's it's i'm not um anti-american i'm not like ashamed to be american yeah. i'm not one of those people that's like i'm ashamed to even be from this country no i'm i'm, I'm proud of, of being you know an african-american and when i go to other countries and they try to be slick and act like America is the only one with like race issues. You guys are so focused on race. Like you're so like, what is it? What is it? Black, white? It doesn't wear all human beings. Like they're so full of shit. Shut up, you Scandinavian bitch. Shut up. Because <laughs> they all have issues with like racism and classism and all that stuff. So I really, as much as I love to travel and I love Paris and I love Rome and all these places, like their superior attitude towards like, you know, Americans, I think is laughable because they they have so much, so many problems of their own. But because like in a place like Paris, racism is like technically illegal and things like that. They feel like they sort of have the upper hand or like, oh, they banned slavery beforehand or something like before we did or something. It's like, but y'all are still fucked up over there, too. There's still racism. Oh, yeah. So I just I, I refuse to buy into the idea that somehow they've got it more figured out. That being said, I would like to move to Paris one day <laughs> <laughs> you guys love Paris. because that all oh, we do. You know how much we love Paris, know. you know. So, you know, and that's where, you know, my 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 idols, you know, like Josephine Baker and. Oh, 
James Baldwin and, and on all those artists of that time, like were really able to find themselves yeah. was in it's Paris. Beautiful. So. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, but the song is also about being broke. Uh, yeah. It's about the, the hardships in America. What's, Living hand to mouth. What's yeah. the most broke you've ever been? Hmm. The most broke I've ever been was probably when I first moved to New York. And I was like responsible for my all my own bills and stuff. And so I was constantly broke because I would spend money on bullshit. You know, I always like, eh. no, I was overdrafting a lot on my account. There's a lot of over, there's a, a yeah. Time. Yeah, I know. there was a lot of overdraft fees. There's a lot of bounce checks because I wasn't paying attention and saving and all those things that I do now. But yeah, that was probably the brokest I've been was when I first moved to New York in 2000. And yeah, when I, when I first moved to Los Angeles, I mean, the first man, like the first few months of stand up comedy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't start right away. I worked for a couple of TV shows and then I was in this house and, and I just decided I was, I was living with three roommates that I just found on Craigslist, mm-hmm. a bunch of younger guys. And the guy it was during right. The uh, economic crash happened. Mm-hmm. And so the guy who owned the house, he, I guess he bought it in one of those like subprime mortgages, the ones that like basically everybody did. And so their houses went upside down. Yep. Um, this is 2008. You yeah, said, right? So yeah. this is 2008. Yeah. And I just started stand up. I was maybe like a month into it. And that guy was had to sell the house because it was getting foreclosed on. And I had nowhere to go. Mm. I had no money. Yeah. Like, I think I pawned almost everything that I had because I made that decision to be a stand up comic. Mm-hmm. And, I remember I squatted in that house for fuck like a month and people would come to see the house too. And I would be like hiding in one of the closets or like, Mm. I'd have to like, you know, he'd tell me if people were coming for the most part, but there were times that I had to sneak out. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then I, I don't know where I went from there. I think like immediate, I think I lived in my car for like a week and Mm. then where did I go after that? Where did you shower and stuff? Or did you? Oh, I know when I was when I was in my car because I had a gym membership. Oh, got uh, it. But it was only ten dollars a month, and so I had that so I could shower there. But it was I was only in the car for like a week, and mm-hmm. then I I just went to different couches, and it was the most broke I had ever been for like I'd say until I found started DJing at the strip club. Mm-hmm. Right, like right, it right. saved my life. Yeah, D- bringing up girls named cilantro to the stage <laughs> and fucking just all right, y'all get your dick mushed. I, I mean, that was what I was doing, and that saved my life. Yeah, and, but that but that time that I was I was I just started stand up, and I met Angelo and Byron and and Rel and all the guys that I started with, Drod, and that was the most fun being being at my brokest. Mm-hmm. Was probably the most fun I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Not, it was scary as fuck looking back at it. And I think we were talking about like the difference in me now and the difference in me then is that like I I just I know I'll never get back to that. Yeah. Like I know it now. I know mm-hmm. I'm not going to fuck this up. But mm-hmm. it's like for years as everything started getting better, I was like, God, I just don't want to have to go back to that strip club. Right. Even though it saved right. my life, yeah, I just don't want to have to listen to Migos anymore. I'm just right. like, I can't, dude. <laughs> also, Peter, do me a favor. Play uh, the ending of the song around 340 because I think it is perfect. Look at your hands. Good song. Just good. It's okay. P- uh, Peter, play a little of the song. You pick whatever place. Can't you see you made a mistake? 
I think this I'm is, not crazy about this song. Because I think it's too slick. It's too overproduced. It yeah. sounds like an 80s Rolling Stones song. It's also like annoying. Na, 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 na. Like, the, like literally, <laughs> na, 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 na. Look yeah. at your hands. You got two fat children and a drunken man. Like, like, why are you gloating? Like, my life sucks. And now you're gloating that I'm getting my ass beat by this dude and my children are obese. Yeah. It's, and it's like, <laughs> you could have been my woman when you had it. Bet you don't like your life. No, I don't like my life. So what the fuck? You gonna help me out, or are you just gonna taunt me through a song? Yeah. I don't like the song. Completely. This this is a rare <laughs> instance too on the album where George is specifically addressing a female. Yeah. Lyrically, it's mostly a teasing, spiteful song. Yeah. With a few lines about still wanting to be with her. Right. Are you a, a spiteful or vengeful person? I can be. Yeah. Don't cross. What me. is the all right? Well, what is the best revenge you've ever had? Um, I wouldn't say that it was revenge, but there was a summer, uh, summer of 1998. I remember it because it was when Sex and the City and Sopranos both premiered, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, I was living in New York. I wanted to live in New York for the summer. So my dad was like, well, you can't just live in New York. You have to get a job. You have to go. So I had all these internships, blah, blah, blah. I was staying in uh, Columbia University opened up its dorms during the summer for people who wanted to rent them as apartments. So I got one of those dorms. So I was living there. There was a girl across from me. I forget her name. Um, she's from Texas, this blonde chick. And so we would go out together, hang out, meet dudes, blah, blah, blah. There was a guy there. Um, and again, don't remember his name. And he was sort of flirting with me, but she liked him. I ended up going home with him, right? And he'd even made some kind of comments about like, oh, you know, your friend wanted to hook me up, but I chose you and da da da. And again, being like a dumb 27, I was like, yeah, you chose me as opposed to being like, okay, fuck you. Yeah. You know? So anyway, we did our thing. And then I found out she told me, because I think she was jealous. I think she went out of her way to kind of hang out with him and then said, oh, you know, he kissed me and we hung out and blah, 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 blah. So I got pissed, right? So he had given me like he'd loaned me like a Leonard Cohen CD or something. So right away, you know that this dude is white. So he loaned me the Leonard Cohen CD. That's white as fuck. Yeah. Uh, but I love Leonard Cohen. Um, and he had given her a book. So I took the CD and I smashed it in like a bunch of little pieces. Then I burned the book and destroyed it and ripped it up, put it all in a manila envelope. Okay. Um, sealed it up took it to his building because he didn't live too far from us i wrote fuck you all over it with his name on it and i like left it with the doorman and i was like give this to him and you know, also can you say to him go fuck yourself yeah um <laughs> hugs and kisses hugs and kisses <laughs> yeah so that's probably the most but that wasn't like i mean it was just petty and i was like really pissed but i'm not big on revenge i'm not big on revenge i can but you said you were vengeful I was vengeful, yeah, at the time. But I think I grew I but I'm more like you're dead to me type of thing. That's how that's how you get revenge. You yeah, just, I just you don't just, they become, you're just not they become part of the You're nothing. just you're just done. But I'm not interested in like making you necessarily feel the way that was probably the last time that I did that. I'm not interested in making you feel those feelings that I felt. I would just rather forget that you even exist. <laughs> Thank you.
I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. That's that's really more my vibe. Which is great revenge. Yeah. All right, monkey. Uh huh. Play the opening, Peter, because this <laughs> is so fun. It's about a monkey. <laughs> a literal a monkey. monkey. <laughs> a monkey. They're so cute. I have a monkey in my closet. That's my. When I was a kid, I had a little monkey stuffed animal. So I just love monkeys. Uh, it's so great. This was the sixth single on the record. Uh, this uses the old phrase "having a monkey on one's back" mm. as a euphemism for a drug habit. Right. Because that's what it's about. Right. He's telling them to choose between their habit and him. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had to deal with addiction, or do you have any of your own addictions? Um, I have not personally, but people in my family have. Addiction runs in my family, so I have found though that I don't get addicted to things i mean maybe there was a time when i was doing too much cocaine most people are are what i like to call la sober Mm -hmm. which is they only do (laughs) drugs if they're offered them right you know la sober that's good you know it's like you know every because la sober is uh you're sober yeah i'm sober i smoke weed but right i'm sober but i'm sober and you're not but like no 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 but you know and i mean i'll do coke if anybody has them but i'm not gonna buy it listen i used to get coke from a vegan chef like it's really just no rules out here it's like people are like healthy but not out here you know people are like working out every single day and doing this and that and the other and still doing blow dude i would like i would i don't know i would it's like the nick swartzen joke like i would snort an oxy but i wouldn't have dairy (laughs) exactly yeah exactly is that organic? No, but like this Bolivian shit. Yeah, I'm all Which over. Has it. literally been up somebody's ass, most likely. All right. Oh. After hearing a remix of Janet Jackson's "Nasty," George enlisted producer and writers Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, formerly of the Time, to remix and fix this track because he was running out of time. It's a really cool fact, and you can kind of hear it because it def- definitely sounds like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. They had their own sound. They did "Black Cat." <laughs> Kissing a Fool, which is probably, this is the best song on the record. I don't care what anybody says. This is the most beautiful song. So beautiful. I wrote Just Lovely. Just Lovely. It really is. You know you are in for something special right from the beginning uh, because you get that beautiful piano. So, Mm -hmm. Peter, play that for me. Best part of the song, though, is at 318 when the big band picks up. Peter, play a little bit of that for me because it's so good. But remember this every other kiss that you ever give on your scream of bliss When you need the head of another man One you really can't surrender 
this was the seventh and final single, uh, and this is how the vinyl album ended. The jazzy, bluesy throwback sound of this helped it reach number one on the adult contemporary charts. Mm -hmm. When did you first feel like an adult? Uh, when I had a baby. <laughs> really? That's what, yeah. that's what grew you up? You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, more like they were cutting her out of my stomach. Uh, yeah, that no. When I yeah took her, held her in my arms, it was like yeah, you 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 grown now, because you have to take care of someone else, somebody else. And this is like a life that I value more than my own. So that to me is really like this this enormous weight of responsibility and, you know, also like the fear and, and guilt and everything that you have when when you're a parent, because it's like you, you, the time away from them, you're like, I should be with them. And, you know, the, the, the fear that they're just, you know, one day they're going to be able to run up the stairs without holding your hand or if they do, they're going to fall. And it's just that's how it like that's when I really, really felt like an adult, because I, you know, it's this thing where to. I think I'm still struggling with it because, you know, I'll be 41 in a month or so. And, but I'm like, but I feel like I'm 26 or something, but my life is not that of most 26. I like, I have a very structured adult life. Yeah. There's a house, there are repairs, there are bills, there are like things that, you know, I have to be on top of. So, but that was the beginning of it. You know, even having like my own apartment, in, in New York and paying for my apartment and paying for my cell phone and whatever else, I still didn't feel like an adult. I really, I really didn't. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe in a very like superficial way, like I have an apartment, but like, I didn't feel like an adult like I do now. Now I feel like, you know, someone is counting on me every second of the day to make the right choice. Yeah. And that's heavy. And that's, that's some adult shit. Do you want to know when I found out? Yes. And I was an adult. When I was like 23 and I saw my first gray pubic hair. At 23? I went gray pretty early. Wow. Yeah, I, I started, they started popping up, you know, I had like a little That's bit That's why of, you got to keep that shit shaved so you don't even like, you know, you got to keep it trim and maintain because like otherwise, yeah, that it's like it's right in your face. Mine are unruly. They're, and they, they well, kind of look like if, if Frederick Douglass was white. Will you stop it? <laughs> 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 you white, don't keep it. Wait, was white and Jewish. You don't make it like you don't maintain it. Like you don't trim I, I it. I do, and keep but I'm, I'm just not nearly. If anything, to make your dick look bigger. Like I mean, listen, you, I'm sure it's just fine. I said the coke can thing I, earlier. I nah, remember it's a penis. It fondly. It's a regular penis. A I don't, regular, regular. I've had girls say penis. it's huge. I've had girls say it's very small. Oh so wow! It's like, but that yeah, was. I know. Who were, do you believe? But who do you believe? I know that after when you I watch got, porn. Well, those yeah, dudes are like ridiculously. But I, I, so when we did uh, the goddamn comedy jam TV taping, we did these little sketches uh, that we posted online, and one of the sketches was me, Jeremiah Watkins, and Bobby Lee, and we all were naked because uh, Bobby Lee was naked, mm -hmm. and I was like, he was going to be naked in when he did right. his song, and <laughs> and we're all standing there together, three of us naked. And I remember Bobby and Jeremiah both were like, "Dude, you have a nice penis," and I was like, "Thank you very much." Wow, thank you. That's nice to know because uh, nice my ex girlfriend, uh, who I'm not going to name, mm. she might be married to a Motley Crue drummer. Oh. Said, said, she remember one time she was like, You got it. She's like, Your dick's small. And it was like, I, but I, it's oh, literally, but it was like, it was like, it was not hard. It wasn't like during sex. Yeah, yeah. This was like during a fight, I think. Right. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it was like, I think at the time, maybe it was a little small. Mm -hmm. So she was right. Well, still not nice to say. No, it's not. 
Uh, last request. Mm-hmm. In right. quotations, I want your sex. Uh, <laughs> he's back. He's back with I want your sex. He's still begging for it. Fucking George, dude. Uh, I didn't feel that the album needed this song. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not even close to the rest of it. In mm-hmm. my opinion, if if they had to remove one song to make this a perfect album, because it's not perfect, because this song's on it, in my yeah. opinion, uh, it would have been nine songs, George. That's all you needed. Yes. This was only available on the CD and cassette. It mm-hmm. is part three of I Want Your Sex, but it doesn't really sound anything like the first two parts. And the drum machine in it, I thought, was way too loud. It's about realizing your lover is drunk and respecting them enough not to try to have sex with them in that state. Hmm. Consent. Consent. Right. Again, timely. But that's actually the fact that he's writing about that. I mean, it's he's talking about respect. Yeah. That you have respect. Yep. What instantly makes you respect what makes you respect a man? Um, I respect a man who's not a pussy and works hard. So I do like, I guess, alpha males. Um, so I respect a strong, assertive guy who doesn't take any shit. And that's what I mean by not being a pussy. So people don't come after me for being like, a pussy is the strongest thing ever. Yes, I know that. Do you want to do some facts? Right. Yes, let's do facts. Okay. I want your facts. I want your facts. I want your facts. That was really it. That was it? Where was this song? I want your sex. I want your love. I want your sex. I want so your love. So what are the facts? An embarrassing but pivotal moment in George's life happened in April of 1998 when he was arrested mm-hmm. for engaging in a lewd act in public by an undercover police officer in a public restroom at the Will Rogers Park in Beverly Hills, which is right across from the Beverly Hills Hotel. They were also very pretty cops. According to George, <laughs> I got followed into the restroom, and then this cop, I don't know it was a cop, obviously, he started playing this game, which I think it's called, I'll show you mine, you show me yours, and then when you show me yours, I'm going to nick you. Although he was only fined $810 and sentenced to 80 hours of community service, the arrest forced him to publicly acknowledge his homosexuality that he'd been hiding for years. So it was a setup. It was a setup. Yeah, it was total setup. setup. Um, To me, this makes me like him more. Yeah. I don't know why. I just, I really just, dude, he was, he's the fucking man, dude. He just wanted to, he just wanted to get it on real quick in a goddamn you know, public park. And this is, is a little creepy. I get actually it's, it's, a second thought. It's kind of creepy. It's but. definitely creepy. You definitely should not be showing your penis to anybody in the public park. It was this during the day or at night or what was the, I think it was during, the, I want to say, you know, he'd probably do it around magic hour. Yeah. Seven o'clock. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, you probably shouldn't be, but you know, I, in certain parts of like gay culture, that's like, that's what it is. Like you just, you throw somebody a look, you wear a you hanky, find a spot and then you, oh, you wear a hanky, you gotta wear a hanky brown Hanky means you take it in the ass. Right. Is that true? <laughs> no, I have no idea. That would be hilarious though. But like, yeah, you, and then you go somewhere and then, and that's that. So it's not like it was this like crazy thing, you know, that's just something that was going on during yeah. the time and still goes on now. So that whole thing was such bullshit. And like for him to be humiliated in that way must've been so, so difficult. Where is the strangest place you've ever had sex? On a rock in the middle of the woods. 
like a big flat rock. You were uh, rock climbing. And you yeah, guys, rock you climbing. You guys got horny, and you oh, were like, "I was you climbing wanna... that rock, all right." Uh, yeah, no, I, it was just we were just young, and and then I think like later that day we broke into a um, a, a hot tub, like a public pool, and like somehow managed to like turn the hot tub on and like had sex there. Pretty young, that's wild, pretty normal. Rock sex. I mean, there's nothing that strange about it. I, I once rock fucked... sex isn't strange. I uh, know. I fucked at I fucked at a rave before. Mm-hmm. I fucked uh, at a Pelican Pete's, which is like a sports bar. <laughs> okay. Uh, in the bathroom. In the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, we were watching the Redskins game, Redskins Giants, when the Redskins still had Stephen Davis. If that if that helps anybody know the time of when it was, <laughs> say like two thousand, maybe early two thousand and no late two thousand. Um, I'm not really into strange sex places. I mean, Me I've, I've I've done you know. I'm trying to think. Where's the strangest place that I've had sex? I really just like, excuse me, I really just like just doing it in a nice bed. Like, it's just, I just, I like a bed because then afterward you can like get under the covers and like curl up and go to sleep. Like, what's better than that? And then get up and have some food. Like, you know. That sounds great, but you're also married. True. You know, so. Oh, so am I boring now? Me. No, but you flip that to me <laughs> and it's like some girl that I like, if I barely know her and I'm like, oh, so he's going to yeah. sleep over. It's like sometimes you, cuddle ju- and sometimes stuff. you just want to fuck and sometimes you got to do it right then and there fuck and you'll and do it either in a park or at a Pelican Pete's. Mm-hmm. He had told his wham partner, Andrew Ridgely, and one of his sisters that he was bisexual when he was 19 years old, but kept it from his family, especially his mother. Um, mm-hmm. what's something that at one point you felt ashamed of, but now embrace? Hmm. Oh, probably my speaking voice. Cause I got told I talked white when I was in fifth grade. Yeah. And now I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> I heard it recently from someone too. Uh, and it was just kind of like, it's interesting. It didn't like affect me in the same way. Cause I'm just like, and plus like half of my friends that that are black that I know, we all went through that. We all got told we got, we talked white because if you don't speak in a certain kind of way, but now I embrace it. It's like, I, you know, I can talk however I, however I want, like I'm black. So it doesn't really matter how I talk in my opinion. Um, So I think that's it. Although it is still sometimes hard to hear my voice, but not for that reason, but just because sometimes it's hard to hear your own voice. Sometimes you're like, ugh, is that what I sound like? Yeah, I used to be that way, but now I've embraced it. Right. When I, I, when I hear impersonations of me, I'm like, that's, that's, that's when I get like, you're way off. Yeah. Everybody's is just like, Hey Josh, how are you? And I'm like, it's not (laughs) how I sound at all. No, not at all. For years after his first arrest, he had struggled with substance abuse and further arrests from drug related crimes, driving under the influence and including crashing his car and other attempts to solicit sexual acts. So he got, Mm. he did get into a lot of trouble. Yeah. He got caught out there a couple times. I remember one time he like fell asleep in his car and Mm. like had like cocaine. Uh, Have you had to learn any lessons the hard way? Hmm. The hard way. Well, certainly not to that extent. It's more through personal relationships you know, friendship or romantic where you keep going back expecting the person to be different or act different or to have more compassion or be nicer or whatever, only to have them just be who they are. And so that sort of can, that that cycle of, of disappointment, the highs and the lows, that's probably 
the biggest ones. I, there's probably something stronger than that. But that's the first thing that comes to mind is just dealing with people and being strong enough to like walk away when you know in your gut like this is not beneficial to you, you know. Yeah. That's really it. I feel like I have been disappointed by a lot of people because I go into every new relationship very like positively and very like excited because I love meeting people. I love hanging out. I love being social. And so it's it's disappointing to me when not necessarily that I don't get it back, but when it doesn't click and just people are just assholes. But I, I pick out a, a quality about them. I'm like, oh, but they're funny. Oh, but they're cool or but they, you know, and so I fixate on that, not looking at the whole picture, you know, and then something happens, it'll come to a head and then it like all falls apart. So that's that's generally, I think, what's happened in past relationships with men and a lot of girlfriends, too. I've had to learn the hard way like that. um, Yeah, people aren't really happy for you. Um, There is something There there are people that are. There, there are, are people that are. You just got to learn how to, how to, especially in this town. Yeah. It's just we're in a town that is so, I hate to say fake, but it's just, mm-hmm. there's a lot of fake people. There's a lot mm-hmm. of like, you know, especially in this business, really. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, there's people that I barely know that come up to me and they're like, hey, man, and like giving me hugs. And I'm like, dude, I love you. People throw around, I love you so much. So much. It's like, really, you love me? So much. You gonna pick me up at the airport? That's yeah. the key. That's the test. <laughs> Will you help me move? Will you help me move. You can't ask me to help me move at at my age for just pizza and beer. Yeah, like you need to have no. like a, like a chiropractor and yes. like an oxy and an waiting oxy. for me. George Michael confessed that he would like to recreate Madonna's infamous kiss with Britney Spears <laughs> at the 2003 MTV VMAs by doing it with Justin Timberlake. <laughs> Who would, yeah, who who would you choose for your same sex celebrity kiss? Oh my god, my same sex celebrity kiss. Ooh, so many fine ass women out there. Um, oh god, (laughs) but not in like that whole sort of like performative way, but just like someone I'd want to get down with. Yeah. Mm. What I want to get down with? Aretha Franklin. No, <laughs> may she rest in peace. Oh no, yeah, I forgot she died. Yeah, she's dead. Uh, not Beyonce. Even though I love Beyonce. Rihanna. That's that's it. She's that's a lot it. sexier than than, than Beyonce. Beyonce that's just it. seems like a very like like an angry lover. <laughs> like Beyonce, fucking that. <laughs> Like she fucks Jay Z, yeah. You know what I mean? True. Like Jay's like, oh shit, I agree. oh shit, I agree. <laughs> yeah, no, she's got some, she got some power in those thighs. She's not, you know, Rihanna play around. Very sexy, very sensual. Yes, she's very sensual. That's what I like. She's very like playful. Like I feel like she'd be willing to be playful. Like Beyonce has the. Comp- I couldn't handle her. She's too. She'd be too much for me. But like. I would definitely like to have a go at it. Beyonce has like the confidence, had more confidence than like Hillary Clinton did in last in the 2016 election. <laughs> she has like, more confidence she's than more anybody. She's more confidence than anybody <laughs> yeah. in yeah. the whole world. Absolutely. All right. All I right. would like to drink wine with Rihanna, like a little bit too much rosé, like in an afternoon, like lounging by the pool. And then like, we're like, oh, let's go in the pool. And then like somehow like our, like, you know, 
the next thing you know, you're off. scissoring. Yeah, and like we're just like so and you're like coming like this. When you come, other. you go eh eh <laughs> eh eh eh. It's so Yeah, I would want it to be like that, like a very playful, innocent. Uh, Ella, like, Ella, Ella. Yeah, and then we wake up. I like wake up in her huge bed, and like you know, she's like texting me, and I'm like, or I'm like, where are you? And she's like, oh, I'm on the plane. I'm on a yeah. She's like, on a I, way to I took, Rio. I took the chopper out of here. Yeah, like no, I had to go. Like I had fun, babe. XX, and I it's not some... like. And there's no, I'll see you soon, and I'll, 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 and I'll text her and be like, yeah, cool, like, let me know when you're back in town. And she doesn't respond. And then, like, a week or a month or something later, I'm like, hey, just checking in. Like, you're around. I saw that you were in L.A. Nothing. Like, crickets. Like, that's how it would be. And I would just be like, wow. Be like, it was just for that afternoon. That afternoon oh, into baby, the evening. It was that was a- it. This whole, this whole uh, it's like a sunset. fantasy was in the afternoon. Yeah, it's like a magic sunset. Hour. It's, it's the magic, it's the magic hour. hour. And like the, You're you eating know, jerk chicken together. Exactly. Like a jerk sauce the sun is like reflecting <laughs> off of the pool. And she's just like with those Cupid bow lips and those green eyes. It's like, woo, child. <laughs> that's, that's great. Getting me hot and bothered. Um, <laughs> just all right. thinking about it. <laughs> and finally, Faith was the first album by a white solo artist to hit number one on the U.S. R&B charts. About that, he said, I was much happier with Faith being number one black album than I was when it became number one pop album. Mm. Obviously, he had such respect for black artists that that was a big deal for him. Mm-hmm. All right. On a scale of blackness, how, <laughs> how black, black is, is this faith? record? How black is this record? I, you know, looking back on it, I wouldn't necessarily call it that black. I wouldn't call it super white, not like wham white. So on a scale of one to ten. What, I what, give it a strong six and a half. Strong six and a half. So what yeah. is what is that in black scale? Like like what what black actor would that be? <laughs> <laughs> it's not Denzel. No 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 no. Uh, on the black scale of that album, like a Jesse did... Smollett, a black. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's pretty black. I think. Um, Hmm. I don't know if I can answer that. Six point really. seven. Six point seven strong. 6. That's, that's 7. good. Yeah, dude. Like I, I thought you were about because to say it's like, soulful. I thought you were about to say like a four. Like the way no. you were talking about. No, no, no. Because dude, one more try is just like we said earlier is just as good as any R and B song that was out at yeah, the time. Yeah, I don't. I don't. You said that earlier. I don't know that I agree with that. Really? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I think there was definitely some like you know real R and B like black singers who would would blow that song. That song. One more try out of the whole album. Nah, I, I, I don't think so. Know, I, Father figure feels a little bit more, you know, when he's like, I'll be your daddy. Like when he does that, like, whoa, like that to me yeah. feels a little bit more okay. than one more try. I feel like you just got a little mad at me right there. But no, like, like I was, no, it's okay. I just was like, thinking well, yeah, about it. I, I disagreed with that. <laughs> you white motherfucker. <laughs> Yeah, I'm black. Sounds, sounds, I'm black. Sounds exactly I would know. like me. <laughs> yeah, no, I. Uh, <laughs> but I, it, that album is incredibly soulful. Yeah. Black people love George Michael. Okay, yeah. when he did that duet with Aretha, I knew you were waiting. Like you know, we were all here for it. But is it like that black of an album? Looking back, six point eh, no. seven. But that's, I think maybe for the white people making music at the time. It might have been considered it's like, oh, what then. a cool black, black sounding album. But listen, they thought that like Madonna sounded black back in the day. I don't know how. And then and her record label wanted her to sound black 
because that was the cool thing. It was a very 80s thing, like sound black, don't be black, sound black. So, I mean, that was very, you know, of the time. So, yeah, soulful, but there was, you know, in terms of like R&B and soul and stuff, there's there's some more heavy hitters. But this album is solid. He is amazing. But if you're asking me about blackness, eh. 6.7 is pretty black. 6.7. But Nia, 6.7. you are just like this album, just straight hits, girl. <laughs> this has been so much fun. Thank you for coming Thank on. Thank you for having I me. I love you, darling. I love you. I won't be your ski but but takes me to your sky-ba-doo. I won't be your preacher, teacher, anything you want to do. Nia Renee Hill, ladies and gentlemen. At Nia's Alter Ego on all social media. Also, check her out on season four of Epis for Family. And as always, guys, she'll be popping up in Bill Burr's Monday morning podcast all the time. I'll also be posting her mixtape track listing link. Uh, and that, along with everything 500, at the website, the500podcast.com. Email the podcast to talk some shit at 500podcast at gmail.com and follow me on all social media at Josh Adam Myers. Please subscribe on your favorite platform to listen to this podcast. And if you could, rate and review it. Follow my main man, Morty, at DJ Morty Coyle, and check out his Instagram page where him and his daughter sing a bunch of songs, at B and Daddy Cartoons. We just listened to George Michael from 1987. Now, here is an artist that is directly influenced by this album. From New York City, we have January Jane and their song, Take the Lions On. And if you're in a band and you were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists that you hear on this podcast and you want your music featured at the end of the 500, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and the artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is Richard and Linda Thompson week with their 1974 album, I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight. So y'all got some homework to do. At ease, soldier. Fleece army. Stay fleecy.
Born Georgios. I can't even say this name. Born Georgios Kairakos Panali. Fuck, there's no L. Paniotu? Sorry, George. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Next Chapter Podcasts.